Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is the coach of Virginia State University football team, Dr. Henry Coach Frazier. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate you having me. It's an honor, man. This is my first time getting to talk to a, a head coach of a football team, so it's truly an honor. Oh, well. I did, man. Won't be too painful. <laughs> first of all, congratulations on the new job at Virginia State. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm I'm excited about what, what's to come. I'm excited for for the things that we got in store for this the upcoming season. Had had a great recruiting class and getting ready to start spring practice. So I'm I'm fired up about about the future. When does spring practice start? Uh, we we shooting for um, March 21st. Okay. Oh wow, that's way bit. That's pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We come back. We go. You know. We, Last workout, just next week, we'll do testing on the guys, and then uh, they go home for spring break. And when they come back March 20th, which is my birthday, we start <laughs> practice that next day. Okay. Now, let's talk about how did you begin – how did you get into coaching to begin with? Man, that's a, that's a whole story. I, I, I think I've always known I wanted to be a coach. I've always known. Even when I was a little boy, mama, mama bought me the electric football game with – Man, we, I would play that thing for hours and hours and strategizing and, and, and playing against my, my friends in the neighborhood. And I always knew it. And then when I got to high school, played for the legendary Ralph Payton at Family Heights High School. And, uh, you know, my dad died in second grade and, and Coach Payton was like a father figure to me. And I just kind of gravitated to him. And even in high school in the 80s, man, he used to, I was the quarterback of the team and he actually allowed me to call plays in high school. And wow. I was a high school quarterback, and I called call plays. I didn't call the whole game, but he'll give me a series. He'll say, hey, hey, see, you take this series. Go ahead and call it, call the series. And um, when, I, when he allowed me to do that, it, it made me concentrate more on my preparation because I didn't know when he was going to do it, but he did it almost every game. But he trusted me to prepare. And I, you know, being a quarterback, I didn't come back and just throw pass, pass, pass. No, I'm just reading defenses, seeing the weaknesses, building on the plays we ran the previous possessions, and and, and had great success at it. So I, I remember telling him, "Hey, man, I want to coach. I want to be a coach." But he said, "Hey, man, and go into college first. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I, that's how I kind of started for me. So you, so you were, you were studying the playbook and, and, and active in the, in the, you know, active and and learning plays and stuff as a high schooler. I knew the plays. I was, I was pretty. I, I just knew the plays. I knew all the plays, and but it was just calling the right plays against the defenses. So you know, starting watching film in high school, just say, okay, they run this defense on third down. They may run this. You know, so I had if he gave me a series to call, I had to know all of those things, anticipate what they will do, their tendencies. Because if I was to mess up, then he wouldn't let me do it. I love doing it. So it made me study even harder. I don't know if you can answer this, but let me ask anyway. Do you know who your teammates prefer calling plays? Oh, <laughs> definitely coach. I mean, <laughs> I don't even think they knew. I don't even think they knew who was calling them a lot of times because I would, um, he would, he would have me run to the sideline. This was before signals and all that stuff. 
Oh. You know, he would have me run to the sideline, get the play, come back. So they they had their own assignments to, to worry about. Then they're the wondering if I ran to the sideline or, or got the play. They just knew I had to play. Oh, so even when you called the play, you would still run to the sideline? No, no. But I said they wasn't really paying attention if I did it or not. Oh, okay. Got you. Got, yeah. you, got you. Okay. Okay. Man, that that's a lot. What now? What were you? What class were you? A freshman? Uh, he didn't let me do that till my senior year. Okay, okay. Yeah, my senior year, he trusted me, you know, do it. But I was his quarterback, eleventh and twelfth grade. In tenth grade, I was a backup and played defense. Oh, what position on defense? Cornerback. So let me ask you: Did that help you prepare? Did that help you as a quarterback? Because now you can kind of see. You can see the game from both sides. Yeah, it, it definitely did. And then I, I had no intentions on playing quarterback in high school, man. I, I was a defensive guy, and I'm going to age myself. When I went to high school, I went to high school in 10th grade. I didn't go in ninth grade because back then we were still in junior high school in ninth grade. So in my neighborhood, everybody wanted to go to Family Heights. Everybody wanted to play for Coach Payton. So I couldn't wait to get there. And I remember as a – I remember this like yesterday, man. It was um, I made varsity as a tenth grader, but I was on JV, and then a guy named Gary Freeland, he got his jaw broke. I don't know if he was in the game or in a fight or something. So they boom moved me to varsity. Mm. Man, it was like the first or second game of the season or something like that. So I was like, I hate to leave all my friends because we all came in together. But I was like, man, I'm on varsity. So I was I was on varsity, and I Family Heights was really good back then in the early '80s. So that was a big deal, man. You should have seen me walking around campus, man. I'm, I'm like, man, man, see, man, you on varsity? You on, yeah, man, I'm playing varsity. We were playing Gwen Park High School, right? and so I had been practicing with varsity all week. And then it was uh, we had two quarterbacks on JV. One of them got suspended for fighting Jonathan Williams. And then the other guy, Lamont, I can't remember Lamont's last name, but Lamont, I think his mom didn't let him come to the game. And back then, JV would play Saturday mornings, and then Varsity would play in the afternoon. So they was like, well, C-Man, everybody called me C-Man. I knew C-Man before I knew Henry. Everybody was like, well, C-Man played quarterback in Little League, you know. But I came up to the school early because I wanted to see my friends, you know, playing JV. I said, you know. So they was like, uh, go play JV, play quarterback for the JV team. I went out there, threw two touchdowns, ran for one, and threw an extra point. Then I had to play in the varsity game that afternoon. So I played JV at 9 o'clock in the morning. Then I played in the varsity game at 1 o'clock. I was hungry. All I remember, I was hungry because I didn't get a chance to eat in between the games. Now you play when you played the varsity, was it cornerback? That's this the story. This is where it gets tricky, right? Here. I played, I was going, I was the backup corner, but Coach Payton told me, he said, because he watched that JV game. He said, Hey, see, some good and some bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, What's up, coach? He said, He said, well, the good news is you're gonna get to play in the varsity game, but the bad news is say goodbye to defense. You're a damn quarterback. So he moved my position, and I ended up playing cornerback and quarterback in the varsity game. And then they moved me back to JV. 
<laughs> Thanks for the effort. Go back. <laughs> Go back to JV. And I went back and I was the quarterback and we went one like eight or nine games at the JV. And I still dressed for all the varsity games. And I played it a little bit, but I only played – I would have played much more if he had kept me at corner. But then they moved me to quarterback. We had a really good quarterback. So – and I think we went all the way to the state championship that year and lost to McDonough. So I was a backup quarterback and a backup corner. And then in 11th grade, that next year I became a starter on varsity. Wow. And that's how I became a quarterback. I know it was a long story, but I had to give some context. No, it's it's good to provide context because the listeners want to know. So where did you go to college? I went to Bowie State University. I was Bowie State College when I went. Went to Bowie State College and and played football at Bowie State and from 1986 to, to 89. And you know, I chose Bowie. I chose Bowie State for a challenge, man, because they was losing when I went there. They had a losing streak. And I said, man, I want to be a part of change. That's always been my mindset as a, as a coach, as an athlete. And the beautiful thing is, we, I was a part of Bowie State when they lost. They, I was on the field when, when they broke the 32-game losing streak. At the time, it was the longest in the nation. So it started like in 85 or something like that. 86, my first year, I don't think we won any games. And then 87 is when we broke the streak against Cheney. And I was on the field. And then 88, I was a starting quarterback. We went to the national playoffs. Went out there to Portland, Oregon. And then in 89, we won a CIAA championship. So, you know, I, I, I got a chance to see firsthand how to turn around programs and what it takes to turn around programs. And, and if you watch my coaching career, that, that's what I've done. I, everywhere I've gone, they were losing before I got there. And then we ended up winning. Mm. So you you went when you went to Bowie State. Did you didn't start as a freshman? I'm assuming correct? I did. I did. did I, start? I started as a freshman. It was about six or seven quarterbacks. I ended up starting for a couple games, and then I broke my ankle. Oh. Yeah, I broke my ankle, and um, and I had to miss the rest of the year. I think I may have came back at the end, but yeah, I I ended up getting the starting job. Did you have to compete to come when you came back the next year? Or no, you said you came back the same year. I came back later on in that year and, and um and played you know sparingly, but they was rotating trying to figure out who's who. And then in the second year, um I actually pledged a fraternity, pledged Omega Psi Phi fraternity, and and the coach, who was a really, really good friend of mine to this day, we actually talked today. He, he felt like I can't invest in a guy who's pledging because in 86, in my first year, we had a couple of guys on the football team that pledged, and one of them got had a broken arm. And, mm. and so he was like, man, you the quarterback. How are you going to pledge? And I, I'm glad I did. I didn't. He wanted me not to, but I did it anyway. So I wasn't named the starter. And ended up every time I came in the game, we had success, and, and I led us to a couple wins. But then after that, 88 and 89, I, I took the job hands down. I was a starting quarterback, and, it, it, you know, wasn't nothing left to it. But, you know, it wasn't no doubt that I was the guy. Let me – let me let's 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 talk about that for a minute because that's a really interesting, interesting decision you made. The coach didn't want you to pledge, but you decided to pledge anyway. Yeah. 
Did you, what was the pushback? I mean, what, what, how did you arrive at that decision? Because that's a tough decision to make. I lost my scholarship and everything. And it was a tough decision, you know, and I know the coach was thinking about football. About football. And I was thinking about life after football. And, and, and that's why, and that's one of the reasons why I'm such a successful coach is that I encourage my players to pledge. I encourage them to be a part of the community. I encourage them to do something other than football. Football is going to take care of itself. But I'm not going to be that guy that say 24-7 football, 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 bunch of robots on my hand. I want, I want well-rounded individuals. And my whole goal is to make you the best version of yourself. So I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't allow you to try and do other things while you're in college. The college is your time to grow and learn. And I remember, man, because the members of the fraternity, it was um some of the faculty members, they all came and met with the coach, man. They came and met with the coach, and and and, and it didn't help that the coach was white. It was a white coach at the HBCU. He might have been the first. Yeah, he might have been the first white coach at an HBCU. And um, and I, he understood afterwards, you know, and I and I don't think, I don't think. He 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 understands fraternities and stuff, but the strong draw of black fraternities, man, it ain't you know it, it's 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 something on some different levels, and uh, they showed me something by coming down there to speak with him because you know I lost I, I lost my scholarship as a result. Let me let how can me, I invest in someone that I know ain't gonna be at their best? Let me let me so so we, okay because this this is I, I, this is fascinating to me. So you lose your scholarship. How do you tell this to your family, to your parents? And, and my mom, <laughs> I guess it's a you know, my mom never went to college, and um, and 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 you know, you just you just make it work, you know. And I, I mean, I remember that semester sleeping on the floor of some of the fraternity members. I remember them making sure I ate, you know, and I wasn't even their brother yet. Mm. They, they, you know, because they knew I had to sacrifice to become a member, so they looked out for me, man. And 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 I think that's why I have such a strong bond with them guys to this day, you know, thirty something years later. So it was it was an interesting, interesting uh, dilemma I was in. But I never blamed Coach because I always knew I knew from a coaching standpoint he was looking at what happened the year before when oh. two of his. You know, one of his football linebackers had a broken arm, and he didn't even get it broken arm on the football field. Okay, okay. You see what I'm saying? So he's like, man, you go, you a quarterback. How you, you going to do this during football season? How did, y'all, how did y'all repair that relationship, or did it even need any repairs? It didn't. I understood what he was doing. I understood where he was coming from. Let me tell you something. Experience is the best teacher. It don't have to be your experience, but, but I look at people for, for who they are. He's a good person. He's a good man. He was looking out for his investment. That's his team. Okay. You know, so it's all of these experiences shape the type of coach I am. And I said, I, I will become a head coach. I'm not going to put that restriction on, on my players. You see, so you, you know, just because people don't necessarily agree with you don't mean that it's broken. I was mature enough to understand where he was coming from. It did, it did, I mean, really. I don't think we ever had a conversation, you know, contrary. You know, I just kept doing what I was supposed to do, what I was expected to do. But I do remember 
the next year in 88 when I took the job. Mm -hmm. It was six. It was five quarterbacks in training camp. I was number six. So they had a blank at number five. Because, man, I came back. I was a Q-dog. I was ready to roll. And I was I had my confidence was through the roof. I trained the hardest I ever trained in my life. And when I tell you I came and took that job, and then right before the first game, they put me back on full scholarship. Okay. Well, do you – because because you – okay, that's a – you got to be mentally tough, like really mentally tough to make that decision for one. And then to handle it the way you handle it with your coach, that's number two. So do you think do you think in a way because you handled the situation so well, like from that from that mental aspect with that maturity, do you think that helped you earn a quarterback job? I I, I don't think that helped me. I just think my preparation helped me because what I did know about coach. <laughs> He gonna play the best players because you know as a coach your job is to win ball games. Okay. So, you know, and I'm like that now. I mean, I always say this, and I tell this to young coaches: you don't hold grudges with young people because you never know what's going to trigger and happen in their lives that's going to trigger maturity. So, just because a person was one way one year. You need to always wipe the slate clean the following year. Once you wipe that slate clean, you can't be going back talking about what happened last year and all that. You can't do that. You know, you got to be like, hey, man, this is a new year. It's a new slate. It's a clean slate. Let's play ball. You know, let the best man win. And, and, and that's what that showed me. Because what I do know about coaching, and, I, and I'll say this to anybody, and some most agree, but many would never say it. I go out here and go one in nine and I probably, and I graduate hundred percent of my players. Guess what's going to happen to me? You're getting fired. I'm getting fired. I go 10 and one, graduate 20%. Guess what's going to happen? You're getting a, you're getting a raise. Getting a raise. We see, we see it all the time. Um, because, because I'm, a, I'm a huge football fan. And I remember you, because you mentioned this scenario it made me think about Ty Willingham. Yeah. Ty Willingham graduation rate was like 90% or something like that. It was really high at the time he got fired. So they didn't care about that. All they cared about was, was winning. And, you know, you know, they want in the ideal world, you want both, but trust me, you know, winning they, trumps they had to choose. Winning trumps that winning. <laughs> Cause winning is what make the money. So we, we got to be real about the situation. Yeah, nah, that's that's the truth. So, I learned all those lessons at a young age. It really shaped me to be the coach that I became or, be, or that I am. Now, when did you get your first first coaching opportunity? I I, I became the head coach at Central High School man, in nineteen. 19- 96, 95, 96, something like that. 94. I'm sorry, it's 94. You were a young man then, right? I was 23. Wow. I was 23 years old when I became a head college, I mean, head high school football coach. But I was 22 when I was a head baseball high school coach. See, a lot of people, I don't even talk about that much. I was the head baseball coach at Fairmont Heights 
in nine in in ninety three, hmm. and then I got the high school job in ninety four. I mean, the football in Central in ninety four. So hmm. I was a head baseball coach before I was a head football coach. How did you? How did they trust you so young? Well, I was. I was. One thing is, I went back to Fairmont Heights. Where I was with all the guys that knew me, the athletic director was Coach Sharpless. Coach Sharpless was was my defensive backs coach, and then the offensive line coach was Coach Wake. He was my basketball coach, and then he had Coach Payton, and then the receiver coach was Coach Boone, who was my junior high school PE teacher at, at Kimmore Junior High School. So these guys have known me since I was twelve. So now you're talking 10 years later, I led them to some championships. I got a college degree, won a championship in college. And, man, they was like, hey, when I was doing my student teaching, they, they lost a, a baseball coach. And I remember when Coach Shopley said, you want to do the baseball job? I said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and then I became a head high school baseball coach. Wasn't very good, but I, I learned <laughs> organizational skills. I learned motivation. I learned, you know, Trying, you know, trying to from a logistic standpoint, make sure guys on the bus, making sure they're eligible, turn in equipment. So you start learning little traits that's gonna help you. And I did that, man, at 22 years old. What was it like coaching Central at what 23? 23 to yeah, 23 or 24. I, I, I mean, I'm starting to lose track. It it was it was it, it, you know, you know what helped me get that job is because I was already a head coach. Of baseball. Of baseball. Okay. And, and that I learned that lesson from Coach Dolce. That's the white coach from Bowie State. He told me when I go on, when I called him when I went to the interview, and he told me this. He said, Henry, you're already a head coach. Say head coach as many times as you can in the interview. Mm. And I went in the interview. Well, as a head coach right now, I do this, I do that. As a head coach, I and I and I remember that. And every time I ever went on an interview after that, I would always say head coach as many times as I can because people like to hire people for positions that they're already in. Even though it's a different sport. Even they're not hearing, they're not here. I'm not saying I'm a head coach of baseball. I'm saying I'm a head coach. <laughs> I'm a CEO. I'm already in charge. I'm already in the big chair, you know? So I'm I'm making them see me in their big chair. Okay. And Coach Doach gave me that advice. Same guy who told me not to pledge, but I was the same quarterback that led him to a national playoff berth. You uh, see? Okay. Then where did you go after Central? I went back to Bowie State as the head coach. Wow. Same, I was 29 years old. And wow. in the same situation, I remember on the interview, where as a head coach, time head coach, I, you know, I kept sliding out in there. And as an as an alum. As a two-time alum, because I had had my master's from Bowie at that by that time. Mm. This was in '99, so I had already had a master's, and because I, I was also vice at that time, I had moved to vice principal at Central High School, so mm. I was the head football coach. And I was going to. This is the crazy thing. I had just finished this. They had a leadership program in Prince George's County, so I got my master's in school administration supervision. So I was going to have to make a decision because I couldn't be a vice principal and the head football coach. So this was in July when Bowie State job opened up in June, which is late for football. Right, so the right. job opened in June because Coach Wood, who actually recruited me to Bowie, Coach Wood left and went back to his alma mater, Salisbury. So the job opened up late. 
in May of 99, I had just graduated from, from Bowie with my master's. So now, and I had just finished the leadership class in Prince George's County. So I was coming back to Central as vice principal, and I was going to have to give up the head coaching job. Oh. So I was going to give it to my assistant and let him do it. So that was the plan. And then when the Bowie job opened, I said, well, I'm going to apply. I'm an alum. I got a master's. Let me apply to go back to my school. And I got the job. What was it like coaching your alma mater? Man, it was the, one of the best coaching experiences of my life. I, I got so much from Bowie. I was able to coach at Family Heights because I was the offensive coordinator for two years there before I got the central job. So I was the offensive coordinator at Family Heights for two years under Coach Payton before I went to Central High School. So when I finished playing football at, at, at Bowie State, I was finishing up my degree, but I was the offensive coordinator at, at, at Family Heights. So I always was, man, I always, I coached at Bowie State for two years. Then I went to Family Heights for two. So so when I got, by the time I, I, I got to look at my resume, man. I might be confusing folks. <laughs> What was your what was the team record when you took over for Bowie State? What was the previous coach? What was his record? Like his final record? I'm, I'm not sure. Was I'm it a sure. was it a winning season, a losing season? Yeah, I can't remember what they did in '98. They might have won four games or five games. Something like, like they might have been 500. But you know, uh, they they wasn't great, but they were they were okay. He had some good players. The covers wasn't bad. I got the job July twenty second, and we and we we ended up winning, having going five and four. Okay, we had, we had a winning record, and we ended up going five and four. Okay, that was your first year. Yep, and you were there two years, correct? I was there five years. Oh, five. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I was at Bowie for five years as a head coach, and when I left Bowie, I was the all time winner in five, just five years. Coach Coach Wilson, who I who I hired. Damon Wilson, I hired him when he finished playing, and he worked with, worked for me for a few years. He, you know, he broke all the records. I think he won. <laughs> he won, but I still tell him, "You ain't win a championship till I came back and started helping you out." So <laughs> well, I don't know how like much I had to do with it, but I might have been your lucky charm because you sure ain't won one until I got back. Well, it sounds like you made a good hire hiring him. Oh, yeah. He's a great coach, man. Great coach. Now, what kind of coach is he? Offense, defense? The offense. When I hired him, I hired him as my special teams coordinator and my running backs coach. But um, he's an offensive guy. Okay. Now, now, after Bowie State, where did you go? I went to Prairie View. Went down to Prairie View A&M University. And if people know anything about Prairie View, man, I got there about three – Maybe three years after they snapped the 80-game losing streak. Yeah. So they had lost 80 football games in a row. I remember that. I, yeah, I, and I, I got there. Watching it on ESPN, they finally, yeah, they finally yeah. won the game. I was like, good God almighty. Yeah, but I didn't know it was HBCU at that time, though. Yeah, Purview, and they had lost 80 games. And everybody told me, you're crazy. You know, I had just won Coach of the Year at Bowie. We had, just, we had lost the championship. And then we had went one made it to the Pioneer Bowl and take this job. Why and, did you decide to take it? Because they was losing. And I and, and I knew well, what what they were offering in terms of the resources. I said, I'm gonna win here. I, I said, I'm gonna win. You know, they 
And, and then, you know, I know my strengths as well as my weaknesses. And, and me researching that conference and, and knowing what they were going to give me in the state of Texas, I said, you know what? I had never been to Texas until I went down there on the interview. So I was like, you know what? Let's go. Let's, let's, let's take a chance. I'm still young. I think I was about, I don't know, in my 30s, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe 35, 34, 35, something like that. I was still young. I was like, man, I'm going to take a chance. Let's, let's go ahead down here and, and do this. So you said they had better resources than Bowie? Yeah, yeah, it's Division One. So they in the SWAT. So they had 63 scholarships to have full-time. At Bowie, when I was at Bowie, man, I had one or two full-time coaches. Everybody was part-time. I only had about 15, 16 scholarships. Wow. And the max is 36 for Division Two. So, you know, even though we was winning, we were winning because of our location. And that's what I always tell people about Bowie State. Bowie State is one of those places – it's in Prince George's County. It was the only Division II school within. You take a big circle around D.C., 200, maybe 150 miles, you're not going to touch another D2 school. So you're in the most affluent county in the country for African-Americans. So what that mean? That mean them African-Americans going to send their kid to school. So I can go in. When I was winning that boy, I'd get kids $500, $1,000. I ain't giving out full rides, but I'm giving you something. And a lot of times, you know, parents had enough money to pay for their kids to go to school, but they just wanted to say, hey, my kid on scholarship. They ain't going to ask you how much scholarship. So <laughs> Bowie is a place where you can win. You can be versatile in your own backyard. You just got to make sure you beat, you know, you you get out there and beat the pavement and find those players in Prince George's and D.C., you know, Howard County, you know, Montgomery County and, and uh, Anne Arundel, Charles County. You just got to just Baltimore City, Baltimore County. You you can win with and just in those areas and fill your team. Okay, there's over there's over two two hundred high schools in just those counties alone. Wow, and you're not competing with another Division two school. Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Anybody else to come in town, they're gonna be out of state, and then that double that like like almost double the fee. So they're not gonna come in. Other D two schools ain't gonna come up here. And take your players. Oh, hmm. so you went. So you go to Prairie View. What was that, man? And, and, we, and like you said, they lost eighty straight games. But that was three. But you you came three years after that. But still, when you lose that many games, it was bad, man. It was. We still talk about that. Actually, it's part of the book that we're writing. That experience is a part of it because it, it is it was unbelievable. It was a beautiful experience, uh, an unbelievable transformation, and and it was it was just awesome to see. I remember that first my first game at Prairie View. I won. I beat Texas Southern in two thousand and four. Was it four or five? I can't remember which which one. That's like their main rival, right? Exactly. They hadn't beat them since eighty eight. Oh, and you was the first. Oh boy, I know they. I know you had a hero's welcome doing that. We man, I saw actually witness alums crying in the stands, like real tears, like could not in disbelief. When you, I mean, that's the them schools forty minutes apart, and, and you talking about either back then when Houston, one of the largest cities in the country, and that whole surrounding area, 
you're talking about you going to Prairie View or you going to Texas Southern. That, that's pretty much what's going to happen down there. You're talking millions and millions of people, of black folk. Mm-hmm. So when we beat them, you know, I'm thinking it's just another game. We prepare, you know. Half of the staff at, at Texas Southern was on my staff at Bowie. Because when, really? yeah, when we left Bowie that year, Steve Wilson was my defensive coordinator. He used to be the head coach at Howard. So he got the Texas Southern job. I get the Prairie View job. He took Damon with him. He took Toyas Rainey and Adam McCain. All three of them was on my staff. I was just going to say Damien was the guy for your head coach at Bowie, right? Yeah. But he was my assistant for five years at Bowie. Okay. And then Steve, when Steve, so that lead, I think it was uh, 2003 or four. 99, 2000. So it was 2004 season. So that was our first year down in Texas. And um, so Steve, all of us was on staff at Bowie State. So half went to Prairie View, half went to Texas Southern. Wow. And that's what we played the first game, and we beat them. When we came to practice to, on that Monday, they had T-bone porterhouse steaks. <laughs> now I tell you, man, them steaks were so good, you can cut them with a plastic knife. Mm. They grilled them right on the football field for practice, man. Wow. The guy, the, the, the coach, Damien, why didn't he go with you? Because it's, you, I, I, it sounds like you guys had a better relationship, right? Yeah, well, he told me he wanted to work for somebody else, and he, and he wanted to, um, you know, experience a different leadership, and I, I, I was cool with it. Okay, you know, we beat him like a drum, <laughs> and then they got fired, and then I brought him over to Purview with me. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. When that staff got let go, I brought Damon over there to Purview with me, mm. made him the running backs coach. And it worked out. Then from there, he got the head job at um at Bowie. He went back home. Oh, he went back. Yep. Wow. So that's how he, that's how he ended up back to Bowie. But he ended up coming and worked for me that last year, and then he got the Bowie job. So, what was your experience like at Prairie View? Man, it was it was unbelievable, man. I um, you know, I ended up being third all time on their win. And they've been playing football over 100 years, and I, I, I'm third in just seven years. I ended up being third on their all-time winning list. Um, and it, when we won, man, it, it was a beautiful thing. In my last four years, we had winning records. I think we won nine games, nine games, seven games, eight games. And um, our house, and we were playing for championships. We won one in 09, and the first championship, since 1964, man. Wow. And um, I was the highest paid coach in the conference and things were going great, man. And and I won the Eddie Robinson Award. I was the first African-American to win that award and, and the first coach from the from a black college to win that award. Hold on. And, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. Because the, the, the Eddie Robinson Award is for the best coach in the HBCUs, correct? No. It's two Eddie Robinson Awards. I won... The one for HBCUs, that's given by the Sheraton Broadcast Network. I won that award twice in, in 08 and 09, but the Eddie Robinson Award is given to the top coach in all of FCS football championship subdivision or, it's, or, the, or it used to be called 1AA. 
Oh, okay, okay. So, oh, okay. So you won the best coach in whole division in the whole country. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's even white high. schools and black schools. Everybody. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it's it's a big deal. That's a huge. What yeah. Was it? Wow. So what was the feeling? From, no, when when they announced you won that award, what was the feeling you had? I initially went to the previous winners, and I said, "Well, I'm the first black to win this award." And I'm not at, at the time. I'm the only other only coach from an HBCU to win it, but I think uh, uh, Deion Sanders won it now. I think last year. Oh, but I, I was the first coach, first African American, and the first coach from an HBCU to win that award in 2009. And I, that was just that was a big deal, man. I didn't, I didn't, I realize it now later, you know. But that was that was huge. And then winning the first championship since 1964, that was pretty big as well. And I was able to beat every SWAC school. They hadn't beaten Jackson State since 72. They hadn't beaten Grambling since 76. I mean, it was, they, they, had, uh, they had been a perennial doormat. They're just and the, and the crazy thing is, it's an unbelievable, beautiful school. It's like one of the richest HBCUs. It's like if you go to the campus, students don't walk on the grass. It, it, it looks like a country club. They have some of the beautiful buildings you've ever seen on that yard. There's no dormitories, all apartments. It's, it is a beautiful place. Mm. They have so much going on that, you know, sports like that, it was an afterthought. But having a president like we had with George Wright and the athletic director, Charles McClellan, who hired me, who is now the SWAT commissioner, they had a vision, and they wanted to win in athletics, so they invested heavily in the athletics. And you should see their football complex, the building, the the, the, the field house. The, they have a, every sport has a field. They have a softball stadium, a baseball stadium, a track and field stadium, a soccer stadium, and all of this is on campus. They have luxury suite boxes in the stadium. And I, I was actually set on, I presented, Myself and the president, Dr. Wright, we presented to the Texas A&M Board of Regents for them to get that, get the, get all that stuff done. And I remember him and I drove up to College Station, Texas, and presented. And, and uh, it, it was a beautiful day. for. And they wanted to hear from the football coach. You know, football is big in Texas. So oh. I, I like to think, and I've only been back there twice since I left. I went to interview for the athletic director's job one time. And then I went to call a game for ESPN uh, when I was doing color commentating. And I did that. Them the only two times I went back to um, to Prairie View. I haven't been back but twice. What year did you leave? I left in 2010 or 11. I want to say 10, 10 or 11. I left then. And where did you go? I went to North Carolina Central. Let me guess. They were a losing team. They been losing, yep. <laughs> and, and 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 my lure, they had trans transitioned from division two to division one, and they were losing. But the my main reason for going was I wanted to have a chance to win a national championship. And I I, I was feeling like I was in my coaching prime, that I was I was doing very well. And I, I and in, in the SWAC, the SWAC schools don't play for the national playoffs because they have a, a championship game. So in 2008, we was nine and one. 
and we we had a chance to make the national playoffs. But because we had lost to Grambling, we knew we weren't going to go to the championship. But the conference still blocked us from going to the playoffs because had had Southern beat Grambling in the Bayou Classic, then we could have made the championship. This is why you was at Prairie View, correct? This is why I was at Prairie View. So my my rationale for leaving Prairie View was, as long as I'm at Prairie View, I can only compete for a SWAC championship. But this this was before the Celebration Bowl and all that stuff. So I wanted to capitalize on on you know where I was from an age standpoint, and I wanted to compete against all the schools in the country. You know, I wanted to compete against everyone. So I left and went to North Carolina Central where I wanted to have a chance to compete for a national championship. Now, are they in the MEAC? They were in the MEAC, yeah. Okay, okay. So I've been a head coach in the MEAC, the CIAA, and the SWAC. <laughs> You've been all over. Yeah, so I've been all over. How was your experience in North Carolina Central? It was cool. Um, you know, we went – We uh, I think we, we didn't have a winning season the first year. The second year we went – we won at a six and five or six and four record. And I had a bunch of players ready to roll. And and then I ended up getting fired. I got fired um, from North Carolina Central in 2013, a week before the first game. Got a, a domestic situation with my former spouse. Uh, um, I was arrested. And you know, even though I was exonerated, you know, it kind of put a, a a bad taste in your mouth or, or, or mess with your reputation a little bit. Uh-huh. And, and I, um, I had to go, go reach, you know, rebrand myself, start all over. But the thing about North Carolina Central, when I left, man, they won three championships with my players and had that kind of oh. still eat at me, man. But know, you know, the coach true. did a great job with them. But, uh, you know, I had the quarterback, Malcolm Bell broke a lot of records, the offensive line, but I had signed 15 offensive linemen my first year, red shirted all of them. And so we were set, we were ready to roll and roll. And, and, and the coach that came in, he actually did the job. He finished the job. He got them boys rolling and they won three straight championships. Me, actually. Now was he was he was he already on your staff or he, he was no, the no, they they brought in another guy. Um and I don't know why his name is, is slipping me. But I he um he's at Tennessee now as the running backs coach, but yeah they did a great job and, and they won and I still stay in touch with a lot of those players I see them around now. I actually just hired one of them for at, at Virginia State he's from Richmond put him on my staff one of the guys who won those championships down there so you know but after that I just had to you know regroup man life happens to us all man I was still a young man you know and. Uh, I was still in my forties, and I was like, "Hey, you know, you gotta still live. You gotta take care of your kids. You got, you gotta eat." So I went and got my PhD. I had started my PhD at Prairie View in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. That year, we won the championship. I took three classes that fall, three wow. PhD classes in two thousand nine. Got three A's, and um, I went on to finish that up. Got my my PhD in in, in educational leadership, and then I became a athletic director. Wow. So let me ask you, had you, I mean, if it was an unfortunate situation, but had that not happened, do you think you would have finished the PhD? Yeah, because all I needed was my dissertation. Okay. Okay. So what I did was from 20, I got, so it was 2013 when I got fired, which was in August. I defended in 2014, that next year. So I just jumped on that. 
just locked in on that. Finished okay. writing, because I had already started writing it. So I got the right, the written part approved, then I defended it in June of 2014, which was 10 months later when I got fired. When was what was the dissertation about? Glad you asked. It was a descriptive study of employment access granted coaches from HBCU to the FBS level. Whoa. See, the thing about that back then, when I did all that research, this is stuff they're talking about right now, but you know, being as though I, I researched it, I'm an expert on it. I defended it to high academia. So when I listen to see people talk about black coaches being hired at the FBS level, and I just kind of chuckle. And I, you know, I did the study of the Rooney Rule and all those things because I had to def- I had to defend it twice. I had to defend it to get it in academia because they I was trying to explain to them this is not about athletics. This is about critical race theory. And once I was able to get them to see that, they were fascinated by it because I had them to start looking at, okay, look at the provost, look at the dean of students. Start looking at different leaders on campus. Where do they come from? You know, do white schools come to HBCUs and hire these qualified people? So once the higher academia started to see themselves in my study, they were fascinated because the answer, well, my theory is, no, they don't. They do not come and hire from HBCUs. But HBCUs, into want to go higher from white schools. Um, but that's a whole nother argument for another day. <laughs> I can get on that all day long. And I piss a lot of people <laughs> off when I start talking about it. And all they got to do is look in the mirror mm. because it, it, it's clear what it is. So that, that's what my dissertation was on, man. And at the time, it was only one coach that has ever transitioned from HBCU to a Division One. That was Willie Jeffries who went from South Carolina State to Wichita State. And Wichita State don't even have football anymore. And now since that has happened, it has been two other schools that have done it. That was uh, the coach that came from Alcorn that went to Southern Miss. And he's a white coach. So that's kind of escaped. His name escaped. I can see his face. And now Deion Sanders. So does that even count, really? Yeah, right. That's why I said it. (laughs) And then Deion Sanders just did it. He's the third. Oh, he's the third. And I asked, do that count? Because Prime, Coach Prime, he he in a, he in a class by himself, man. You know. And, and you, you know, know what? So it, it, we we have to count it. He's still a black man. We got to count it. We got to count it. We got to count it. He's still coach. <laughs> he coached Prime though. But now it, it it ain't about his race. It's about coming from an HBCU to a Division One college, an FBS school in football. Now, who's the other one you said? We we, we said the guy from Southern Miss. Yeah, the Southern guy from Southern Miss is Coach Hop, Hop, Hopson, okay. Jay Hopson. He's the he's a white guy. He's a white guy. And Dion came from Jackson, Mississippi, and went to Colorado. But Willie Jeffries did it back in the late 70s, early 80s, when he went from South Carolina okay. State to, to Wichita, Wichita State. State. Okay, Willie Jeffries. Okay. Yeah, he was the first one. I got to ask you because you <laughs> – You've done enough research on this, so I really want to get your opinion on this. What do you think about the Rooney Rule? I think his intentions are good. The intentions are in the right place. But 
it's hard to enforce it. Yeah. That's an unenforceable rule, in my opinion, because I can hire, you know, that's where the token Negro come in. I can, I can interview who I want, you know, just to satisfy this. But when you start talking, it, it is almost impossible to make people hire black people. Yeah, you, you, you're going to have someone you're familiar with, someone you're comfortable with, regardless of the color of their skin. Yeah. And I personally think this is just me talking. If I was in charge of everything, I wouldn't even say I would stop focusing on head coach. I would start focusing on co-coordinators. Hmm. I'll start co-focusing on that. And they're doing it now a little bit with the uh, Doug Williams, the fellowships, because like the Bowie State uh, offensive coordinator, he's with the commanders now. And he's been oh. up them for a second year. And it's, and it's basically the the fellowship. They're doing a, a fellowship where they couldn't getting guys from um, HBCUs to, to be in, in the quarterback room. Okay. See, I with the Rams, K.J. Black, who was my quarterback at Prairie View, He's he was the offensive coordinator at FAMU. He's doing a fellowship with the Rams now. And he's in the room. He's coaching quarterbacks. He's an assistant quarterback coach. Okay. And they getting they getting paid six figures. They getting paid good money. So they you know so that's a great start. You see what I'm saying? That's a start because you you if you try to just focus on everybody want to talk about head coach, which is I get it. I'm telling you right now, man. If I was in charge, if I had to make some decisions, I'd say. No, no, don't worry about it. You keep you let the best man be who who you want to be the face of your franchise. That's fine, but when you start developing these guys from a coordinator standpoint, you know, then you then you then you can then you it's much more. It's a better chance to move than it is to just say, "Hey, you're gonna be a head coach." Because you look at a guy like Eric Bieniemy. You see all oh, the stuff. You was reading my mind. You was reading. My mind. Yeah, I was texting him the other day. You know, and just just congratulated him and welcome to the area. But when you look at all the stuff he's gone through and all the people that has been fighting for him, and now he had to take this move, and you got to look at the team president, the brother, mm-hmm. offense. I mean, the um, GM brother. Wait, what in, in Washington? Yeah. When did yeah. that happen? It's been there. It's been there for a couple of years. And then you look at Doug Williams. So they got a lot of black men in leadership positions over at Washington. You know, so Ron the, G- Rivera, the GM is a black man? Martin Mayhew. I didn't you know, know Washington. He's he's been Washington GM? For a couple of years, man. Mayhew hell? played at Florida State. Well, he was the so, GM at the Lions with the Detroit Lions. Yeah, now he, he's over here in Washington. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah so, so you know, it's a strategic move, in my opinion, with them, you know, getting Eric B. Enemy over here, needing a coordinator, and because ain't nobody else was going to do it. So let me say this, and this is kind of like off topic, but on topic. I'm a Cowboys fan, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm about to hang up. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I am really, really pulling for him because I like the way they did him. 
I don't know how he interviewed. You know, people could tell the story however they wanted. You got people like LaShawn McCoy telling his version of the story, whatever. But we know everybody that was on Andy Reid's coaching tree got a job. It, 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 history shows it. Nagy. Um, it was Nagy. It was uh, the um, um, Childress. Nagy, Childress. Um, the guy who, uh, hell, um, wasn't Frank right on the staff, right? Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> but he, he, there's about, I want to say at least four offensive coordinators from Andy Reid coaching tree. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody is clear what it is. I mean, you know. Do they want him of uh, this this particular black man who's a real brother to be the, the face of their franchise? That's all that's about. And owners, them billionaire owners, is like, no, I don't want that. And, and you know what? NFL is a private franchise. Yeah. And they got that right. I, I can't even, I, I know he deserve it. Everybody knows he deserve it, but that's their program. That's that's their, they own that team. They own those clubs. And them are private clubs. And, you know, he's got to work a little harder. And I, I know it, you know, I, I'm sensitive to it. I don't think it's right. And he understands it more than we do. You know, he, he ain't tripping. He's going to coach ball. You and know it's bad it. when you got Cowboys fans pulling for you. <laughs> I know, man. It, it mean, because it, well, right is right. You know, there's it, been a lot of things being revealed to, in this country in the last 10 years. A lot of things have been revealed, you know, from President Obama to that other guy that we got. <laughs> and now this guy is it this the country has showed itself. Yeah. I mean, you look at Colin Kaepernick, they showed itself. Yeah. You know, that man ain't said nothing. That man just took a knee because of police brutality. Yeah. That man ain't said a word. He ain't gave no interviews. He ain't said nothing. <clears throat> and when they was condemning him, go back to Africa, go to your own country, burning his jersey, he ain't say nothing. Then when they basically taking a knee and apologize and all that, he ain't say nothing. The man ain't said a word. Yeah. He started the whole conversation. And that's what President Obama said. President Obama ain't go one way or another. He just said, these are conversations that need to be had. And that's what has happened in the last eight to 10 years in this country. And Donald Trump only won because of Colin Kaepernick. He was able to say, fire him, get him out of there. And all those people follow Trump. Because if Kaepernick don't do what he do, what the hell do Trump stand on? He don't stand on anything. There's nothing he can stand on. He stood on race. And he used Colin Kaepernick to rally redneck race people. And they voted for him. Yeah. Because if you, without Kaepernick, what is he going to get up there and talk about? You're right. And, and that's why I say this world, Kaepernick is a, is, 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 he'll be a martyr to a cause in about 50, 75 years. He's going to be something special because he made this country see itself. You, you, yes, I ought to be much sooner than that. I say another maybe 10, 15. That's too soon. 
There's still a lot of you know, a lot of rednecks hanging on, buddy. It is, but but you but you also got a, a generation that's coming up, and you got to remember they they're young now, and they remember what happened, so they'll be able to voice their opinion even better as they get older. Yeah, but it takes about sixty years for wealth to change. Oh, but well, wait a minute, that's a whole nother. <laughs> exactly. That's a you whole know what I'm saying? Yeah, look and see who's running these TV shows, who's running these new and people don't read newspapers no more. You know, you, you're looking at how you're getting your information, where you're getting your information from. Cause and that's that takes time. Cause it's still people that's there's racists on our doors still running stuff. They yeah. just keeping their mouth shut. Yeah. So it takes a couple of generations to get them out of there. So Trust me, when slavery ended, it was some quiet people still had had people cooking in the kitchen and, and plowing for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't look out right now, you go out to a 7-Eleven, you get day workers, they ain't paying them what they supposed to be paying. Yeah. And they ain't sure ain't paying no taxes on them. So, you you know what I mean? So it takes a little time. When that wealth and, and, and taxes and the government catch up, because America, you know, America is America is a is a, is a is a land of opportunities. It's a great place to live, but it, it ain't so great for blacks. No, it, and, and until we we help each other, because we still have a, a crab in the barrel mentality. Oh, I got mine. I ain't gonna worry about the next. He getting his. Let me let me put a stain on him. And that all stems from we was taught that man. The Willie Lynch letter tells us they tell they they telling you how to keep a race down. And if you look and read that letter, that Willie Lynch letter, and I subscribe to the theory is that we're still doing that to ourselves yeah. in twenty twenty three. Yeah. So even though America may see itself, America still understand and know that that's okay. I can just go pick this person out and pay him and get him well, teach him and train him to keep the other ones down and don't give them nothing. And they'll keep fighting each other. Yeah. And that's why I say that. That's why I put that timeline on it, man. Because it's going to give a couple more big marriages, people that <laughs> like different things to grow and become grandparents and to leave whatever wealth they may have made to this person. It, it, you know, it's a process. We didn't get here. It took 400 years for us to get here, but it ain't going to take another 15 to get us out of it. Yeah. 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 Because I'm talking totality where the race don't matter. Health insurance is free, you know, and that's that class. You're talking about class, man. You know, the rich, the poor. I'm better than you. I'm, you know, it ain't about, yeah, I might be better than you because I'm white or I'm black or not. Nah, if I'm rich, I don't care what color it is. Money talk. Like that green, that green mean, man. That <laughs> green separates. Yeah, you're not lying about that. Because what will end up happening is the color of skin just dissipate. But that green will always rule. And if, it, if the wealth is not shared, whether it's knowledge, whether it's uplift, there are always going to be people oppressed. And they're always going to be an oppressor. Yeah, man, that was yeah. 
That was the I can see why you got that doctorate, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I love research, man. I love research. I see. I'm a I'm a back up a little bit because you you know you had that unfortunate incident um that that cost you your job at North Carolina Central. But as we can see, you back you got you did get back into coaching. So how did you get back into coaching after that situation? Yeah, I um when I left there, man, I um I, um, I came back home, went back into Prince George's County Public Schools and, and became athletic director at Bladensburg High School. And I, I stayed there for a few years. Then I went over to Dunbar High School in D.C. Mm. And that was such an eye-opening experience for me. Dunbar was the first high school in the United States for African-Americans. And you start looking at the, the, the powerful people that went to Dunbar. It was unbelievable to me. I love walking in that building every day, the brand-new building. They got famous alums on the floor all throughout the building. And back in the day, in the in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, Dunbar was a was a paper bag, brown paper bag school. They put up the paper bag. If you was darker than that paper bag, you had to go to tech, vote tech and places like that. But if you was lighter than that brown paper bag, you can go to Dunbar. Mm. And then from Dunbar, most of the people went to Howard. So when you start looking at Dunbar, you're looking at some of the greatest people in this planet. You know, we talked about fraternities and sororities. Six founders from different fraternities and sororities went to Dunbar. You know, you start talking about blood plasma and, and the brother who, who discovered blood plasma, Charles Drew, went to Dunbar. You start looking at some of the greatest people. We we did a research, because I mean, that's what I do. like. The first black with a PhD went to Dunbar. You know, the guy who invented basketball, Brother Henderson, went to Dunbar. So you start looking at all those greats. So me working over there, man, it was, it was, it was, I was like in a history. Dunbar got its own museum in that building. I would go in there and just read and just look at all the greats that went to that school. Wow. And um, so I I was fired up about that, man. And so then you know, from Dunbar, I was I hooked back up with Coach Loxley. Michael Loxley is a friend of mine for over 30 years, and he became the head coach at University of Maryland. And, and the plan was, I hey, get the job at Maryland, I'm going to bring you on. And I was supposed to come on as a coach, but I know with the stuff that I went through, you know, that that's such a high-profile position. So we sat down and we came up with a position, and we created the Director of Leadership and Character Development. So he was like, man, all the stuff you went through and, and what I want you to do is kind of help with our mentor program. And, 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 and I want you to help with these young men and, and just avail yourself to them. So I went on back over there with him and I, uh, and I, I went to University of Maryland and, and worked with the young guys over there. And then Virginia State gave me a call because I got a call every year. I've been out of every year since 2013. I've interviewed for a head HBCU job every single year. Hmm. But then it was always where he had that incident. Do I want to pull the trigger? Do I want to call? So I just got to the point where I just got tired of it. I just called like, you know what happened? You know, if you, if you want, you know, talk to whoever you need to talk to. You know what my my, my record says. You know what I can do with a program. You know, I'm going to love on my young men. I'm going to be demanding on them. They're going to graduate. And we're going to win ball games. That's how I was talking to search firms and, and athletic directors. 
you know, because I was like, look, I'm not going to keep playing this dog and pony show. If you want to hire me, you don't. You know all about me. But it took a veteran athletic director like A.D. Peggy Davis, and she's been at Virginia State over 20 years, and, you know, she's done an excellent job with the program, entire program. And she was like, Frazier, I heard you want to coach again. I said, well, if the right situation presents itself, I, I definitely will be interested. And, and we got that deal done in about three days. Wow. What, what was their record? Uh, three and six. <laughs> Ooh, you got a challenge ahead of you. <laughs> we went six and four last year. Oh, this, wait a minute. This is your first year coaching, right? It, well, I got the job May 10th because Coach Barlow left and went to the XFL. So they, they didn't even have spring practice. I didn't even get a chance to recruit. So I went in there May 10th, man. And man, most of the players ain't meet the coaches until August when we got the training camp, man, trying to get people hired and everything. So we was able to get it pulled together. And man, the guys were had a captive audience. They 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 listened and and what I was saying, and you know, I'm a very disciplinarian guy, man. You know, we have okay. a saying let me back up a little bit. Oh, so you've already had a coaching season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I coached in the 22 season. Oh, okay, because because you know what I put a, in the intro, I said this was your first year coaching. You already coached them. Okay. Yeah, it ain't even been a year yet. But you know, I, I've been there since May tenth. But I've coached this past fall. We went six and four. Okay, wow. With, with somebody else plays. <laughs> yeah, how about that? And we signed forty one in, in February, so we 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 gonna we gonna be all right. <laughs> so you so now that you've had a chance to recruit. Your own players, I'm sure you're even more excited. Um, I, I am. And I, I'm excited for the guys that's here because they've been working their tails off all winter. And they know I'm going to bring in guys. And then you know, we had 110 kids on the team last year, and we had seven seniors. Only one kid went in the transfer portal. So we they want to play for me. They want to play for Virginia State. Okay. And um, but, but the harsh reality is I told them I'm going to bring in probably 55 to 60 new faces next year. Okay. So maybe 40 of you guys that's here in spring ball will not make it to training camp. So that's just a, the reality of it. And, you know, and they got to, they got to compete and yeah. the best man's is left standing. The best men that are left standing, the ones are going to get invited to camp and, and we, we're going to keep it rolling. What are your expectations for this year up, upcoming? I, I expect this to, to, you know, to be better. I expect this to be better. Um, you know, we play in a tough Northern division with Bowie State and Virginia Union. And, you know, them guys are tough. But, I, you know, I expect this to be better. And, and it, it takes about two years, you know, because even though I recruited, I recruited a lot of high school players. You know, you can't count on them to come in and win. So I got my older guys that are still in the program. I'm, I'm, I need them to to stay the course next year going into year three yeah i'm, I'm i'll be expecting you know we, we, we we'll, we're gonna compete for it we'll be in the hunt at the end we'll okay. be in the hunt for championship Every, now, you know things just need to fall in line but we, we'll be in the hunt why do you enjoy um building programs why do you enjoy that so much man i, I that's a great question it, it it just gets my antennas up. It gets me so excited because it's nothing like going, you know, going from the bottom to the top. 
you know, it's a lot of hard work and it's a, it's a specific formula that is needed. And I, I, I know the formula. I'm very comfortable with the formula. I'm at my best with the formula. And with my track record, every I've done it everywhere I've gone, and but I left. You know, I've left. I've built programs up, get them to the championship, and then I let someone else have them, and then I go on to the next challenge. And I'm wondering if, if that's some sickness inside of me, you know? Like, I really love that challenge. But this time... Uh-huh. It's it's a lot of coaches like that, honestly. Yeah, Parcells yeah. was that way. Yeah, I, I realize because I'm sitting like I want to. I think that, now that I'm getting up there in age, I think this time I might want to hang around and just enjoy the the run, the championship run. You know, just get me a couple because that that's a beautiful thing as well. But I, I know I get up there, get them turned around and. And then it's off, you know, and I think a lot of a lot of it does have to do with money. You know, oh, he's a program builder. He look what he's done. Then they often double your salary. It's kind of hard when you got a family to yeah. say no to those things. Yeah. You know, because they you know, and I think I know that's a big part of it. When I mean I went from three jobs to double my salary. So it's hard to not do that, to, to not take that. But now the kids are grown, you know, and and like you know me, and you know maybe maybe I'll just ride this one out to the sunset. But yeah. I also know that it's a fear there because every coach gets fired. Can you I say something? That? Can I say something to you real quick? <laughs> I don't think you're gonna stay. <laughs> well, well, I don't let know. Let, People, me tell, let me tell you why. I had a job offer this off season. And I didn't no, 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 no. Let me. Okay, let me be clear. I think you're going to get it turned around and get it where you want it, right? But some there's some guys is just you said yourself, you love the research, you love to motivate, you love to build. Those guys can't stay. It's just, it just doesn't sound like it's in your DNA. You just saying like a guy who constantly looking to build people and motivate and inspire. And you and when and when a team is at that low point, that's when you really is you see that challenger. You know what? I want to turn this into a winner because there's nothing like turning a, a losing program into a winner. Even if it's even if you win four more games, it's just the thrill of knowing, you know what, because of me, you know, you, your staff, your players, it's a team effort, but you are the CEO of that team. So it reflects on you that that accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, no, you you're hitting on some things, you know. But there's also another side to that is that can you sustain it? Oh, can you build it up and then sustain it? The Bill Belichick part, you know, because I, you know, I because it's at some point, it's like, okay, you get up there and, and a lot of people looking for a 55, 56-year-old head coach. I mean, I'm not that old yet, but by the time I get this thing flipped, I might be pushing 60, you know? If that's not, is that old for a coach? I mean, it's old. For a college coach, for a college coach, you know, because okay. the stuff I got to do, when I'm 60, I, I, may, I may not want to do that no more. You know, I may just, you know, but if I get it turned and flipped, and then when I flip it, 
I may just want to say, you know what, let me enjoy the fruits of this labor and then let's just punish this conference and beat the brakes off these people, <laughs> you know, and just stay for the ride. So we, I don't know. I don't know. what. At first, I got to get this thing flipped to championship level in, year in and year out, and then we'll revisit it. If I do, I'll let you know. <laughs> Do you do you have a do you have a dream job? I had it at Bowie State, man. I, I fulfilled that early on in my career. So now, you know, it's about the challenge. It's about the resources, the challenge. You know, it was about money at some point as well. Being honest, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, being able to provide for my family and things like that. And now, and now, I just want to be somewhere that wants me at this point in my career, but my dream job was going back to Bowie State to coach, man, and I was able to fulfill that, you know, 25 years ago, something like that. I, you know, it's been a while, but. Wow. We got to talk about this before we end it. Um, you have a children's book. Oh, yeah. I got to give you the opportunity to at least talk about that before we end this. Yeah, man, I um. I created a character called City Boy Seaman. That's C-M-A-N. I knew Seaman before I knew Henry. I mean, my teachers in school would call me Seaman. Everybody called me Seaman. I got that name from my grandfather. My grandfather gave me that name. They used to call me Mr. C. It was a disc jockey named Mr. C when my granddad was on a a trash truck. He used to work on a trash truck. And he used to listen to the disc jockey, Mr. C, when he was doing his trash routes. And when I was born, I was named after him. I'm the third. My son is the Henry Frazier, the fourth. And um, so they used to call me Mr. C. And I guess they didn't want to call no little boy Mr. So it was just C. It was, <laughs> then, then it became C-Man. So for me, man, I created a character during COVID. And I wrote five books, a series of books. And I wanted to do something for young people. And being the guy that I am, I was the athletic director at Dunbar. I left and became an elementary school PE teacher for one year just so I can get research and get information and get things so I can have concrete data when I wrote these children's books. So I did that for one year, and then I went to the University of Maryland. So City Boy C-Man, C-I-T-Y. B-O-Y-C-M-A-N.com. City Boy C-Man. We just, we're releasing our second book in the series on March 13th. And the book will be, we're doing pre-sales now. And all the books start with something with C. The first book is City Boy C-Man has carriage. No, excuse me. City Boy C-Man has character hitting the bakery. And that book is about being put in some dilemmas where you have to make and do the right thing and make right choices and don't succumb to peer pressure. And then the book that we're getting ready to release now, I think it's going to be one of those bestseller types because it's, it's City Boy, Seaman, Community Police and Road Trip. And that mm-hmm. one is about growing up in D.C. where the police were our coaches. They were our coaches. And, and some of these things are loosely based on me growing up but basically, this book is about community. It's about being disciplined. But the, the boys take a road trip out to the Midwest. Well, I, guess, I don't even know where they went. I didn't put no, no, but they end up getting pulled over. 
by the uh, by a police officer. The police officers happened to be white, but they didn't care because they had they had their um, coaches who were police officers, but they were dressed in their baseball uniforms. So they made them, and they all of a sudden they make them get out of the car and sit down. And they were getting afraid, getting scared. And then once the once their coaches showed them their badges, oh, we saw you guys are free to go. And basically, you know, city boy, see man, like, hey, why didn't you just show them the badge in the first place? We wanted to model the right behavior if you ever encounter with police officers, just so you can get home safely. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like the moral of the story. So really, for ages second through the sixth, fifth grade, maybe a really smart first grader, but it's just introducing or presenting the police officers, you know, the way I saw them growing up. You know, we had we called them officer friendly. You know, if I wouldn't be the man that I am today if it wasn't for my, those police officers in my neighborhood. And, and and there were coaches and helping us grow as men. You know, so that's what that book is kind of dedicated to, to, to the Metropolitan Police Boys and Girls Clubs all around the country, the PALS, and, and to let people know there are, you know, most, most police officers are really good people, you know. They're bad people everywhere you go in every industry. But most police officers are good people because the job they have, I wouldn't want that job. And most of them take the the, the, the task or the, the oath of to protect and serve very seriously. So I wanted to kind of honor them. And then the two the two officers and the two coaches in the book is, is Officer Swack and Officer Miak. That's their names. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a fun fun book is really cool and um and we're looking to partner with a lot of the pals the police athletic leagues around the country to get these books in the hands of young people and 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 you know go to cityboyseaman.com pre-order your book get you one and we have a special for both you buy both books you can get them for for about 25 bucks and but they're really good reads and, and they're easy reads and they're illustrated and I think young people would definitely become, they'd be better version of themselves from reading it. Okay. Well, listen, listen, Coach Fraser, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I wish you, you, you and Virginia State all the best in this upcoming season. Well, I sure appreciate you. Appreciate you for having me. And I enjoyed the conversation, man. I enjoyed it. I know I talked about myself a lot, but not really used to that, but it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Well, that's the purpose of this podcast. You just talk about yourself. So <laughs> that's what I wanted. <laughs> are you um are you on any social media or anything that you uh, I am um Henry Frazier, Henry Frazier the third. Uh I don't know how to even say the apps and all that stuff, but it's Henry Frazier the third on Instagram, on uh Facebook, on Twitter, and then uh, City Boy C Man, he's on all the same platforms. City Boy C Man, and, and we, we're starting to get some stuff with Dr. Seuss and so a bunch of other children's books and things like that. Cause you know, some for the young people, man. That's that I hopefully that'll be my legacy when I'm when I'm done and I'm and I'm, and I'm watching the golf channel because I can't play no more. And <laughs> and I'm just kind of sitting around with grandkids. I want those books to be my legacy, just something I can leave behind for young people and so they can be their best, you know, the best version of themselves. Okay. Well, again, thank you for taking the time to do this. It's really been an honor and a pleasure. And I'm going to be rooting for you guys. I'm going to make sure I check. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it a point to come 
I'm gonna make it a point to go to a game. I haven't been to a college football game, so this would be a perfect. Hey, when we come up to Maryland this year, it looks like we're playing Bowie State for their homecoming. So, all right, yeah, man. So we're coming up to Maryland. I think it's October seventh. Believe me, I get so many messages from that all the time. So they beat us like they beat the brakes off us last year. So, so we're gonna be back up here. Okay. Well, again, thank you for your time. And, and and like I said, I'm a fan, and I'll make sure to be following and, and rooting you guys on. Appreciate you. I want to take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with lamp. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.